for you. Are you ready for this? God is not a dictator. He could be if he wanted to be. The easiest thing in the world would be for God to go and take every little thing that we do and actually make that happen a certain way. But see, he doesn't call us slaves. He calls us friends. He is not a dictator. Oh, man, it's a good day. I want to talk about Paul's tale of two cities this morning. It was the best of books. It was the worst of books. <laughs> this picture makes me laugh because Paul's got like a loose-leaf Bible here going, and I'm pretty sure that wasn't around back then. But somebody's Renaissance painting. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. You're amazing. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you, and uh, we need your input this morning, and we believe you're going to come through, because you always do, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Paul had two cities that were dear to him, uh, Jerusalem and Rome, and especially near the end of his travels, these two cities were just on his radar more than any, any others. If you're visiting with us this morning, um, you, uh, uh, well, you're, you're coming in. On, uh, we've been doing an entire study on the New Testament, and we've just gone through Acts and Romans. And uh, Paul, with his whole, he, you know, the, the second half of the book of Acts is a story uh, of Paul. More than the second half, really, but... Um, this second half especially, and there's some interesting things that take place. Paul has some incredible victories, and then there's this dilemma that he comes to regarding these two cities. Now, here's why they were dear to him. First of all, Jerusalem, because he was born there. Well, he wasn't born there, sorry. He, he, was, he grew up there. He, he studied there. It was, it was sort of his home. He was actually from Tarsus, but it was really, Jerusalem was really his home. He studied under the greatest rabbi in all the land. And this is where everything uh, that, that made him uh, an adult, I guess you could put it that way, that's where that happened to him. It was, it was where he grew up. He had all those great fond memories. And then it was shortly after that that he realized that everything he knew was wrong. <laughs> so there was that. Nevertheless, Jerusalem was dear to him. Now, when he had gone there before, it, it had always been rough. Even when he had first met Jesus, he goes back to Jerusalem and people are scared of him. And he, he, every time he's going, there's all kinds of controversy. It's a tricky place, but he loves Jerusalem. The other one is Rome. Now, Paul at this time, he's never been there, and he wants to go there really bad. Uh, he is a citizen of the empire of Rome, which is actually a really big deal. It's more than just being like a U.S. citizen today. You know, there were all kinds of incredible special privileges you had to be a citizen of Rome. About a third of the empire was a slave or some indentured servant, and you had a whole bunch of others that were just sort of incorporated, but the special ones were the ones who were Roman citizens. And Paul wants, Paul has a, a, a special place in his heart because, well, it's Rome! And Paul happens to be called the apostle to the Gentiles. And this is sort of the, the hottest place for a Gentile because this is the center of the known world. So, he's got these two places. Now, just a quick uh, map tutorial here on Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, 
Paul first goes around uh, to Turkey. He starts um, in uh, Antioch, and he, he travels around, and he has some, some incredible times. And then he takes a, a wider swipe. He goes up through Turkey, uh, uh, Ephesus, and Asia Minor, all that stuff, and then over to Macedonia, which is Greece. And he, he is, is seeing amazing things happen, and the Gentiles are opening up to the gospel. Uh, like, you know, nobody ever expected when he comes back. His third missionary journey, this is where things get interesting. Well, things are already interesting, but for our purposes this morning, interesting. He goes through, uh, he visits a lot of the places he's been before, amazing things are happening, and then he comes to Ephesus. Ephesus is this central location, I've talked about it before, it's a port city, uh, huge very influential to the entire region. And one of the most influential things there was the Temple of Artemis. And there's a massive temple you could see from the harbor. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. 60-foot tall pillars. Um, just, it, it went, there's like, I can't even remember the, the size and scope of this thing, but it was on top of a hill. You would have seen it from miles away. It was pristine. It was unbelievable beautiful. And uh, uh, it was part of the commerce of the town. So you had people selling, just like they sell Statue of Liberty little Statue of Liberty things all over New York City. They would have little Temple of Artemis statues. And Paul goes in there and starts preaching the gospel. And he's so incredibly successful that, that tourists are no longer buying the little statues. That's how successful he is. And there's riots that start because even the economy is turned upside down. And it has this statement it makes a couple of times during this journey. He says, the Spirit of God was triumphing mightily. That's a pretty good testimony, isn't it? Imagine that. You go on a missions trip, and the entire pagan religion of the place where you're at, like steeped in idolatry and grotesque sexuality and all these things, is turned upside down. That's what happened in Ephesus. Paul is feeling really good. Well, he, they throw him out of the city, but that always happens to Paul. <laughs> He's always like, uh, the funniest part of this to me is there's literally a riot going on outside. Everyone's saying, let's stone Paul. And Paul's like, just let me go talk to him. <laughs> like, no, no, just let me go outside. No, you cannot. Anyway, he gets thrown out and he continues on his journey. But Paul has all kinds of momentum. And he goes up once again into uh, Greece Macedonia, and he stops, and here he's left with a question, what, what do I do? What do I do? Because here's the thing, in Rome, there's an even bigger God than Artemis in the temple. You know who that is? Caesar. If there's one God that dominated the ancient world, it was Caesar. It was not a God made of stone in the temple. And I think Paul's looking, he, see, he's got that C, and it wouldn't be so difficult to get over. I mean, just, it would be so easy to get on a ship and go straight to Rome. And imagine, ima I can just see him looking out over the water going, imagine if we could see in Rome what we saw in Ephesus. Imagine the city of Rome turning and saying, you know what, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Now this is already what Paul was saying everywhere. Here's the interesting thing. We don't even pick up on the code. But this was a politically subversive gospel. Every time he says Jesus is Lord, the implication is Caesar isn't. It's almost like saying this. 
Jesus is Caesar. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's how they would have taken that. He is the ultimate king. Caesar isn't, it's Jesus. So imagine what might happen if he could get there. So he has this burning desire, but he also, (sighs) Jerusalem. See, here's the thing with Jerusalem. He's got the soft spot for Jerusalem because they've rejected the gospel. These other places have opened themselves up to it all over the place. The Gentiles are accepting it. But his own people, the Jewish people, haven't. And I think he's going, let me have another crack at him. Can you see? Here's Paul, Paul the Ansi. Don't picture Paul as the stuffy theologian. Paul is the guy who's running into a place knowing he's going to get stoned, but him going, it's going to be a ride. You think John Bowers is a visionary? (laughs) That's Paul. So, I can sympathize with Paul. There are two excellent choices here. Go to Rome or go to Jerusalem. You see, I grew up in Youth with a Mission. Most of you are familiar with YWAM. YWAM is the largest missionary organization in the world, and I grew up in it, and every week we would have these Sunday night meetings where teams would come back from, you know, Uganda or Papua New Guinea or Antarctica with the penguins or something. I mean, it was like, and I swear, every week they'd have this unbelievable testimony that would come out, and every week I was called to that place. I'm going to Russia. No, 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 no. I was wrong. It's Jamaica, man. That's where it is. Because look what's happening over there. It's going to be unbelievable. No, no. It's neither one of those. It's Australia. Because as we all know, Australia is entirely people with criminals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is. (laughs) Anybody catch? Okay, forget that. All right. Uh, (laughs) Expected more of a reaction from that. All right. So. Here's the thing. What do you do when there's more than one awesome choice? Now, sometimes it's awesome because God says, go here. You're like, sweet, I'm going there. What if God doesn't tell you? Now, in this church, we happen to believe that God speaks directly to us. That the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And that he dwells in us. And he can direct us and do all kinds of things. But here's the thing. If you walk with God for a while, you know you don't always get those answers. It's not always this way, this way. And I don't know exactly what was happening with Paul, but here's what I think. I think God wasn't telling him. I think God was saying, you know what? Here's two good choices, Paul. Which one do you want to do? Now, Here was the reason these were such big deals. See, we mentioned Jews and Gentiles here. This is the most touchy issue in the New Testament that we can easily skip over is missing the context of what's happening with Jews and Gentiles. Now, uh, I'm going to explain this. I'm going to try to boil this down and, dear God, help this make sense because we're going to go quickly. So you guys ready? I'm going to take you to Bible school for a minute. Y'all ready? Okay, we'll step back out and come, come to Paul in a minute. But I want to try, I think this is an important point. So see if you can hang with me here. Paul, instead of going either place, he writes a letter. Dear Rome. He writes a letter to the Romans. Now, 
Romans is an incredible book. Here is uh, what one of the, the leading, new, probably the leading New Testament scholar in the world has to say about Romans. Um, Romans is neither a systematic theology nor a summary of Paul's life work, but it is, by common consent, his masterpiece. It dwarfs most of his other writings, an alpine peak towering over hills and villages. Not all onlookers have viewed it in the same light or from the same angle, and their snapshots and paintings of it are sometimes remarkably unalike. Not all climbers have taken the same route up the sheer sides, and there is frequent disagreement of the best approach. What nobody doubts is that we are here dealing with a work of massive substance, presenting a formidable intellectual challenge while offering breakthrough theological and spiritual vision. How many of you guys have felt that as you read through the book of Romans? It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's sometimes baffling. You're like, what just happened? Amen. Okay? <laughs> Amen. There we go. <laughs> right? So I want to try to give you a key here as you're reading through this. Okay? Here's the thing. As you read through Romans, the book of Romans is predominantly about nations, not individuals. Not individuals. It's predominantly about nations, particularly the Jewish nation and the rest of the world, the Gentile nations. So is it about, uh, uh, is it about uh, God's grand plan of salvation? Yes. But first and foremost, not about individuals. It's about his grand plan for the nations, for salvation to all peoples. Not a roadmap for individuals first and foremost. It is first and foremost not about individual predestination. That's a word that comes up all the time as we read through this. But it is about predestination. It's about God's predestined plan for nations and for the church. It is a book that is presenting a, a, a beautiful big picture about the plans of God. Now, if you understand that and keep that in mind, it'll make a, a big difference as you read through this. Now, here's why I want to bring this up. Because... Uh, we can easily get caught up in this idea of God's destiny and God's plans for us. And sometimes it can freak us out and paralyze us. Has anybody ever felt that? What do I do now? And you're not hearing. Lord, I want to I go where you call me to go. I want to say what you call me to say. And we feel this weight of, Lord, what is your plan for my life? Well, God does have plans for you. It's true. It's true. But before I jump into too much here, let me try to just untangle one more thing. Here's the controversy. God's, God elected the nation of Israel to be his people, right? Yeah? Yes. But suddenly the Gentiles are being accepted as God's people too, right? Good. <laughs> so they have to get circumcised and follow the Torah, right? Whoa! Okay. Now, as Paul's going through and as the apostles are going through preaching to the disciples, the Jewish people would have said, yes. And that is the crux of the issue. They would say, yes, well, of course, because we're God's chosen people. So yeah, circum yeah, Gentiles can be saved as well. They can become the people of God, but that means, 
that they do all these things? And uh, the answer is actually no. No, you don't have to follow the Torah. You only have to follow Christ. So here's the question. Then what good is God's election? It's a typo. (laughs) Then what good is God's election in the first place? I'm going to ask the question. Are you with me? Do you see the problem? Okay. God elects Israel. And then God, choose, God, God includes the Gentiles. And the Gentiles don't have to go through Israel. So what is the point of God even choosing Israel in the first place? That question dominates the book of Romans and Galatians. So, it also causes riots. It causes attempted murders. It causes murders. <laughs> it causes persecution. It causes a whole bunch of stuff. What do you do with this? All right. Here's what I want to say. And I, like I say, we're rushing through this issue, but I think it's important, so hang with me. Are you still with me? Okay, so here's the thing. God elected Israel to show the open door of salvation to all nations, not only for them. You see this? That was their, God elected Israel to show the open door of salvation to all nations. Then God elected his church for the exact same reason. Amen. Do you see this? In other words, let me boil this down. God did elect Israel for a special purpose. He predestined the people Israel to follow the people under the law, under the Torah. He called them for a special reason, and that was to open the door to salvation for everybody. In other words, their predestination, their election was not about them. It was bigger than them. And the the tragic misunderstanding that the Jewish people had in the time of the New Testament is thinking that their election was about them, thinking it was for them, thinking it was, well, look at this, we're the people of God, and this is all about us. And the answer was, actually, it's not. Actually, you were chosen not for your own sake. You were chosen for the world. And here's the deal. God has called us, the church, for the same reason. He has not called you so that you can be the next Joyce Myers. He has not chosen you so that you can become the next Michael W. Smith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does he have things in store for you? Yes! Would it surprise me if some of you end up with massive ministries like these people? No, not at all! And praise God if you do. But I think in the same way that Israel reduced the predestination of God to something smaller, we can do the same thing, only we bring it all the way down to ourselves. Now imagine the pressure that ends up putting on us. Lord, what is my destiny? What is my destiny? What's the thing you've called me to? Lord, what do I do here? Because what, what if I choose this thing and I find out that's not really my destiny? Then what do I do? How many of you felt that? Boy, you can feel this. I talked with some of these guys about this the past couple weeks because I'll tell you, the place where this is felt probably more than anywhere else is when people are graduating from high school. Lord, what do you have for me? Please tell me. I gotta know. There's a certain roadmap out there, just like a GPS. And if I could just get on the exact right road here, then it would lead me to my exact destiny. And boom, I made it. 
that puts a whole lot of pressure. Now, does God have plans for us? Yes! Should you seek guidance? Please! But your destiny is actually much more corporate than it is individual. And that actually should give us some relief. Are you with me still? Okay. Here, in Ephesians, Paul talking about God's election of the church. Now watch this. This is fascinating. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Now watch. Not as a result of work, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand, which he predestined so that we would walk in them. Now here's the thing. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. He created wonderful, good works for the church. And if you are part of his bride, if you are part of the church, then you have wonderful things ahead of you. This is not about individual destinies. This is about the kingdom of God growing, and it's about the Spirit triumphing mightily as in Ephesus. Think about it this way. You all who are here today, I want you to know this. You were predestined to hear this message. That's right. That's right. Like, what a self-important guy is this? You were predestined to hear this message since the month of August. You know why? Because that's when we wrote out the fall schedule. <laughs> and in the fall schedule, we said this is where we're going to be in the New Testament reading. And Jason is going to preach on Paul and Romans in, in some of these issues. That was on the schedule since August. So whoever was coming was predestined to hear that message. Somebody just texted me. This better not be one of you. <laughs> this is the first time that's ever happened. Wow. What happened, guys, is that this body was... was it was a plan. It was foreordained that this was going to happen since August because that is the plan we put together. So if you're here, then what happened is that you agreed with that thing and you did it. You see, it's not about you individually, is it? And in the same way, God planned wonderful things for his church. He, he predestined us for good works. He predestined us for amazing things. Does that mean he doesn't have individual plans for you? Please don't hear that. I totally believe he has individual wonderful things for you. But that's not his first goal. Because predestination and God's plans isn't about you. It's about the world. If you love Jesus, you are predestined to good work. So stop stressing. You're already predestined to great things. So this whole thing of like, I've got to figure out 
what school to go to a major to choose. Imagine this. I got to figure out who God's telling me to marry. Because if I get it wrong, God is not a dictator. He is not a dictator. Could he make us? Could he send us right to those individual places? Yes, of course he could. He has so much power. He could have created that kind of universe. He could have said, here's what I want you to do. And here's what, and I'm just going to move all these things around and go, ta-da, look at this perfect thing. But he didn't choose to do that. You know what? You know what happened? Here's a, here's my heresy for the day. You ready for this? God took a risk. God took a risk by creating people in his own image. You see, he's a creator. And you know what he did? He created other creators. He created you. You are a creator. You have the ability to make decisions. You have the ability to do things that have never actually been done before. You have the ability, musicians, to write songs. And it might be that God just gave you a song. But it might be that God's going, you're going to write a song for me? Great, what do you want to say? Now, when I, when I am talking to my children, and I go, Emily, come sit up on my lap. Emily, here's what I want you to tell me. I love you, Daddy, and you're really smart. I love you, Daddy, and you're really smart. And I like your hair, even though you're going gray. I could tell her those things. But you know what? She actually has a ton of creativity, and she's smart, and I know she loves me, and it makes me a whole lot more happy to go, hey, sweetie, and to hear what she has to say. I believe our relationship with God is a whole lot more like that. He could program everything, everything for us to do and say, now do it back. That would be the easiest thing in the world. And he does have plans for us. And he does have specific times when he says, okay, now don't do that. I want you to go this way instead. So please be listening for those things. But don't be paralyzed because you don't hear them. I lived with this in YWAM for a while because we have a very high value for hearing the voice of God. It's the very first thing you hear. You read a book called, Is That Really You, God? And it's this unbelievable story about Lauren and Darlene Cunningham and how they started Youth of the Mission and how all these things happen. So we have such a high value for that. And I've seen people wait and wait and wait and they couldn't figure out what to do next. So you know what they did? Nothing! I, I just don't know what God has for me, but it's going to be big. Well, what's on your heart? Well, man, I, I want to love people and I want to serve. Well, here's some people over here that really need help, like service. Yeah, but I'm just waiting because I know God has something big for me. Well, okay, uh, I want to serve the poor. Well, here's some poor people to serve. They need help. <laughs> oh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just holding off, just holding off. <laughs> waiting for our school leader to get the word of the Lord because I think we're supposed to go serve too, but I'm, just, I'm waiting for him to hear it so that we'll do it. Okay, you, all of you, you ready? You are powerful. You have the burdens of Jesus. You have incredible gifts that the Holy Spirit himself planted in you. You have things that burn inside of you when you see it. You're going to be hearing more, for example, about, about the mission 
because we really feel like we're going to be getting involved much more on a, on, a, on a larger level. But you know what I love? I love, <laughs> I love, guys, that we have Brenda and Jane and these people going to the mission and not waiting for it to be a church thing. I love that so much. Because they're saying, I feel a burden here, and I'm going to go do that. I want to tell you guys, you are powerful. And you don't need to wait for a lightning bolt or a word in the sky or a word from Pastor Joshua to walk in that. It's a wonderful, beautiful freedom you have as children of God. Because if you know the things that he loves, you can begin to walk in those things. Now, can he redirect you? Of course. And if he does, take that. Should you ask him, please do. Talk to him about it. But instead of saying, Lord, should I do something? How about this? Say, Lord, is it okay if I go here? I'll tell you guys, it's very rare that someone who wants to go on a missions trip and asks God, should, it, should I go on this thing? It's really rare that God tells them no. I've seen this over and over again. Somebody has a burden to go somewhere and they ask God, 90% of the time the answer is yes. You know why? Because they got a burden to go. And God says, well, I told everybody to go, so yes, if you're willing, please go. <laughs> I like what Lauren Cunningham says. Maybe in missions we ought to say, Lord, should I stay? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You're, you're sons and daughters of God. And you're destined to great things as a part of his body. It's not about you, per se. It's about his kingdom getting massive momentum. And that happens when you take initiative because you're powerful people. My goodness. Check this out. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, for the purposes who are called according to his purpose. So here's what I want to say. God's direction is often fluid. God works with direction. So say you make a wrong choice. Say you end up at a school. Maybe God is telling you, I think, go to this school, and you don't hear him, or, or maybe you even disobey him. And you go, God, you end up over here, you go, oh, Lord, oh, I messed up. Lord, can you help me? I missed this thing. Guess what? All things work together through him. He has your back, guys. His direction is not like, well, you blew it. I had good things for you, and it's all ruined. The best I can hope for you is that you end up just serving somebody in Calcutta because that's the only way that you're going to get back up into my graces. You guys, his direction is fluid. He's with you still. So if you wind up over here going, Lord, I think I made a mistake. And he goes, hey, guess what? I'm with you. <laughs> we can work through this. Because all things work together for good because you are part of his church. It's an incredible thing. Are you feeling the pressure lift? Because you should. You should. He's not a tyrant. Even though he could be. He's not looking for slaves. He's looking for friends. Here's Paul. What am I going to do? I could go. No. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. Paul ends up going back to Jerusalem. And people warn him. If you go, this is not going to be a good deal, man. Seriously. You're going to get captured. You're going to be thrown in jail. It's going to be ugly. You know what Paul says? Calm down, guys. I made this decision a long time ago to live as Christ, to die as gain. So I'm going to go. I'm going to make this decision. And uh, I can't really lose. 
because all things work together for good. So what happens? Well, Paul is captured. Paul is beaten. And Paul ends up in jail for years. And he's not able to go and preach freely anymore. You know what else happens? He's able to preach the gospel before kings. And he's able to write more of the New Testament for us. Because all things work together for good. I've been asking myself this question as I've been going through this. Did Paul make a mistake? Did Paul make a mistake? Is that in itself heresy? Could Paul have made a mistake? Of course Paul could have made a mistake. And I wonder, I don't know. Maybe God said, you know what, Paul? I can do more with you this way. But I'm more and more convinced. God left that open. Paul, what do you want to do? Well, I really want to go back to Jerusalem. These guys need another shot. I want to give them another chance to respond to Jesus. So he goes, and he's captured. But he says, Lord, well, oh well, what are we going to do? Can we preach to Festus? How about Felix? How about Caesar? I appeal to Caesar. I can go to Rome now. (laughs) And that's what happens. He gets to go to Rome anyway because all things work together for good. All things. That's Bible. (laughs) You guys, there's no verse in the Bible that said God commanded David to go fight Goliath. He saw it, he knew it was on God's heart, and he says, I'll take him. There's no verse that says God called Jonathan and his armor bearer apart from his army, Saul's army, to go and ambush an entire flank of the Philistines, but he did it. And what happened? Boom. Most of the things that happen In the scriptures, we don't hear about long prayer meetings beforehand to get some divine light from the sky or something that a prophet says, come and thou shalt do this. All these people are listening for those things and sometimes they get them. But you know what? They know that God's not a tyrant. And they know the things that God loves. So they take initiative and they go do them. You guys are powerful people. You don't need to be under the bondage of thinking, he's going to be really mad if I go the wrong way because he's not a tyrant. Am I hammering this home? Are you getting this? Because he's with you. And he's for you. And I think he's saying, let's create. My friend Nathan Wagner was uh, given, as a part of Youth of the Mission, this 29-acre property in Northern California that was a hippie commune for many years. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) It's a hippie commune with a bunch of naked people building cabins and then some young 20 year old Christian punk goes in there and gets everybody saved and they have to put clothes on <laughs> one of these crazy awesome stories and for years this had been sort of a commune they weren't really sure what to do with it kind of a retreat center and then the Lord speaks to the owner and says I want you to donate this to youth of the mission so Nathan takes it as the 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 leader and he 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 becomes that base leader and he's walking around this beautiful property three three uh, uh, miles from the Pacific Coast rocky shorelines of the Garden of Eden unbelievably beautiful place and he's saying Lord Lord this is amazing this property how all of this came about this is amazing and here's what he felt the Lord spoke to him yeah it is amazing what do you want to do with it He wants to dream with you. He wants to dream with you. 
Isn't that good news? Let's pray. Stand. You guys, he has your back. He has your back. So just put your hands out if, if, you, want, if you want to receive from him this morning. Lord Jesus, it, 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 we ask for your inspiration. And Lord, we ask for your guidance. We're not leaving that behind. We need your guidance, Holy Spirit. But I pray for courage. I pray for courage and boldness for this tribe. I pray, Lord, for these dormant things that are lying in some hearts here today, thinking, I, I can't do this because God hasn't told me directly to do it or it's not a church initiative. Whatever those things that are lying in some hearts, Lord, I pray that you would breathe on those and that they would become a flame. Lord Jesus, we believe in big, big things that you're going to do with our body. And we want to co-create with you. We thank you, Lord, that you have all this power and yet you still call us friends and you still give us freedom to walk with you. Oh, Lord, give us the courage to walk with you. Give us the courage to stand when we feel like resting because we're too afraid. Give us the courage to follow through on things you have told us. And we look forward to the amazing things that you're going to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Prayer team, come forward. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, we got you covered. If you're visiting with us, please stop in the back and see us.